Hi, welcome to Breaking and Entering, the podcast series looking for fund managers and selectors with interesting career paths. Today, we are joined by Sam Gratton, who was an executive director at both Goldman Sachs and Santander, as well as a vice president at JP Morgan for 10 years combined. However, for the past eight, he has been director of Gratton Communications. Sam, bienvenido. Hola, muchas gracias, Daniel. The reason why I say hola and not hello is something that we'll get to in a minute. But um, now, the name of the company immediately makes one think that he himself founded the company. Well, he indeed did. But that was after spending 10 years working in the finance industry. But first things first, in your own words, Sam, what is Scratton Communications? Well, first of all, Daniel, thank you very much for inviting me on your podcast. It's a real pleasure to meet you and chat with you and uh, have the opportunity to talk a little bit about my business and, and the transition that I made. So I currently run a company called Grattan Communications. It's a small language and communications consulting company. And what we do is we help non-native English speakers improve their communication skills in international business. So they become more effective in everything they do. Well, as a non-native speaker myself, this turns into some sort of like a live English test for me. But um, like John Lennon once said, I hope I pass the audition. Sam hasn't mentioned this, but he is sort of like a rising LinkedIn star in the Spanish business world with almost 75,000 followers. Sam, the company is based in Madrid, Spain. In a few words, what is the level of English proficiency in this country, in your opinion? In Spain? Yes. Well, it's not really in my opinion. There, there is education first. They do a survey every year uh, across a million different uh, students of the English language um, and they can make a comparison between different countries. And it's quite interesting because the Nordic countries are always at the top of the list. They have the highest level of English as a second language. The Dutch are always doing very well. And then somewhere kind of mid to low table are Spain, and Italy and Greece. Um, so the, the average lang language level for English as a second language in Spain is probably in the sort of, you know, low intermediate, intermediate level. Um, of course, in the professional world, it's, it's higher than that. And particularly amongst leaders and managers, it's a necessity that it's much higher than that. For non-native English speakers, there's a combination of factors that affect the way we communicate. Among others, there's lack of confidence and the fear of not being able to communicate what we want to communicate. And that leads me to the following question. What makes high-profile figures in the corporate world most afraid of when speaking in English? Yeah, I think the, the, the big concern is credibility, particularly if you're a leader and you're in the spotlight and people are listening to every word that you say. Um, it's not necessarily the accuracy or the level of your English because like most international business leaders have a, have a good level of English. It's a case of they want to be as credible as possible and they don't feel that they're as credible in English as they are in their own language. And, and so this causes uh, a negative effect on people's confidence when they have to get up and they have to give a speech or if they give a media interview and they know it's going to be in English, which is a second language for them, um, they're concerned as communication coaches 
is first of all to help them with their accuracy and their fluency and just getting them more and more advanced in their level of English. But it's also to help them with their confidence as well. So, you know, just remind them that they are better than they think they are and that they can actually manage this conference or this panel discussion and professionally and well. You've talked about speaking in public and that leads me to say what's more challenging for people, public speeches, one-on-one -on -one communication, or does it really depend on each personal case, basically? That is a very interesting question, right? So what's more difficult, getting up and speaking in public to 100 people or <clears throat> sitting around in a meeting and interacting in a spontaneous way? And um, in my experience, so this is my theory on this, is it really depends on the individual. Um, if you tend to have an extrovert personality, you're much more comfortable in these spontaneous situations. And if you're an introvert, you tend to be somewhat uncomfortable in those situations. But I think the opposite is true when you speak in public. I think that actually public speaking is easier for introverts than it is for extroverts. Um, and uh, I'll just give you an example. What happens in our workshops is we will have 10 or 12 executives sitting around and we'll start off with various debates, discussions, icebreakers and it becomes very clear who the extro extroverts are you know, because they're expressing their opinions and they're interrupting and they're being spontaneous and it also becomes very clear who the more introverted personalities are and maybe you have one or two extreme introverts who sit there and don't say anything and feel a little bit uncomfortable with this, with this whole thing. But then as the, as the program progresses and people have to get up and they have to give structured speeches, what we find is that little quiet introvert sitting in the corner not saying anything in the discussion gets up and gives a magnificent speech and, and surprises everybody and actually looks quite comfortable when they're standing up and giving a speech. And the extrovert who's used to speaking spontaneously often has problems, finds it quite difficult. So, so to answer your question, I think that if you're an extrovert, you need to be careful with public speaking because you actually need to sit down and structure your thoughts and practice before you deliver. And that is something that an introvert does all the time. Like introverts are constantly thinking about what they're gonna say. They constantly find communication a challenging thing. So when you then put them up on a stage in front of 100 people, they've done their homework, they've practiced it, they've gone over and over it again in their heads and they are used to speaking under pressure. So they actually end up doing a good job. In one of your most recent videos, you posted a clip of Warren Buffett saying that business students should learn communication skills because they would, that way, they would increase their value by 50%. What do you think of this? Yeah, I think that's, that's a great thing coming from uh, one of the wisest men on the planet because great communication, great public speaking is a skill. It is not a talent. It is not something mystical or magical, it is a skill. And there are techniques that you need to learn. And when you learn these techniques and you practice, you get better and better. So what Warren Buffett is saying is invest in a communications course, learn how to speak better in public, um, and you will raise yourself above everybody else because so few people actually do communicate really well in, in public. In another one of your videos, uh, you talk about 
English native speakers not being able to adapt to non-native speakers and that the fact that they they need to learn to speak English as a foreign language and even more so in business where if you do it internationally one has to expect that a big percentage of people you meet is not going to speak English perfectly uh, and you also highlight that many like phrasal verbs which just many times create confusion should be replaced by easier to understand words let's put it that way so during your time in finance uh, did you encounter any like understanding issues with non-native speakers either way yeah this is this is a this is a big issue right um it's a big issue for native english speakers because they simply um, are unaware of how difficult it is for non-native speakers to understand them so you'll sit in a meeting of uh, international people And the Italians will understand the Spaniards, who will understand the Portuguese, who will understand the Greeks. And then the English guy says something and nobody understands him. And one of the things that they find really difficult are phrasal verbs. And there might be people, native English speakers listening to this going, well, what's a phrasal verb? Because I didn't know what a phrasal verb was, or I'd never heard of the term phrasal verb before I moved to Spain. And a phrasal verb is very simply a root verb with a preposition attached. And when you attach that preposition, the root, the meaning of the root verb completely changes. So you have the verb get, and that's a completely different meaning from get up, which is a completely mean, different meaning from get up to. And yet the root verb is all the same. And there's like 19 different formations of phrasal verbs beginning with get. And this, this is really confusing for non-native speakers. So native speakers have to adapt their approach. And in fact, there are some books out there. There's a really good book called Is That Clear? which actually is written with native speakers in mind, saying, listen, modify your language if you want to really communicate with the whole world. And if you look at something like the Financial Times, the Financial Times is a nightmare for non-native speakers. I was speaking to a client recently about one of the headlines. They didn't understand it. And the headline went like this, Startups fall for Barcelona's tech hub allure. And you're thinking, How is a non-native speaker going to understand that headline? Fall for, that's a phrasal verb. You've got a metaphor in there, hub. You've got a very advanced uh, noun in allure. You have an abbreviation in tech. So, so that's typical of the Financial Times. So you read the Financial Times, it's written by native English speakers for native English speakers. And yet 80% of the international business world are non-native English speakers. So rather than saying startups fall for Barcelona's tech hub allure, you just have a title saying technology companies attracted to Barcelona. The responsibility of good communication is in the hands of the speaker, not of the listener. I have to make sure you understand, you as the audience understand what I'm saying. That's my responsibility. It's not your responsibility to have a C2 native level of English. And th there's one thing that you actually just mentioned that in a way, native speakers to communicate internationally, basically, um, they, they kind of think that they have to speak more basic English in a way, whereas they actually are using a more formal uh, or more intellectual words. And they would, they're just likely to be understood in a better way by non-English speakers. Yeah, that's, that, that, that's, that's an ironic thing, right? So actually, a, a non-native speaker will be able to understand an intellectual discussion presented on Newsnight, but they won't be able to understand 
their colleagues, their, their Anglo-Saxon colleagues, when they go out for a beer in the evening, or they won't be able to understand Peaky Blinders on, on the television. Um, because when you're speaking intellectually, a lot of those words have a Latin origin. Um, and when you're speaking the language, everyday language, uh, you'll be using a lot of phrasal verbs. Just for example, uh, you'd say, if we're talking about meetings, a native speaker would say, call off the meeting, put off the meeting, wrap up the meeting. And these are all phrasal verbs. Now, if you made that slightly more formal and you said cancel the meeting instead of call off, postpone the meeting instead of put off, and terminate the meeting rather than wrap up, then your native English, non-native English speakers are going to understand you much better. So actually, ironically, that, that the more intellectual you are, and the more precise you are with your English, the, the, the easier it is to be understood. Um, we're going to go back briefly to your finance experience. So you worked at JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs and Santander. And linking this to communication skills, what was your role working in these uh, big finance companies? Yeah, I worked on the trading floor and I was a credit salesman. I was selling bonds, credit derivatives and structured credit to UK asset managers and uh, hedge funds. So your last job in the finance industry was in London, and then you set up Grattan Communications in Madrid. Why moving out of finance? Why Spain? And why Madrid? Okay, so I moved out of finance and I moved out of sales because I knew that that was not my calling. I knew it wasn't my vocation. And I didn't want to do it for another 20 years. And uh, I moved to Madrid because that's where my wife is from. And also because it's a totally awesome city. You know, I absolutely love it here. The standard of living and the quality of life is fabulous. If you can make money, right? If you can find a reasonable job. And that's a big if. So that's the reason we moved to Madrid. And we set up Grattan Communications. Really, it was um, an accident, to be honest. Um, because when I left the city, when I left finance, I did not have the vision of being a language teacher or a communications coach or running my own little company. I had a very different vision. M my vision was I wanted to be a film director. So that's one of the reasons why I left finance because I wanted to do something a bit more creative and, and that creative output could be manifest in making films. And I needed that. I needed something. I needed something very tangible and clear in my mind and ambitious in my mind to actually make the step out of finance because it's difficult to get away from the world of finance. And I think this might be interesting for some of your listeners you know, because maybe there are some people who, like me, don't consider finance, asset management, investment banking to be their calling, to be their vocation doesn't give them the sense of fulfillment that they're looking for. But it's so difficult to escape because the money's good. The security's there. And it is interesting, right? It has a lot of positive things about it. So in order to escape this vacuum, this vortex, I clearly had in my mind that I was going to be an international film director. And, and so I went to film school for a year, straight out of uh, investment banking. And uh, I went to the Met, Met Film School, had a great experience there. And the idea was I would start making some films and I would become a film director. And it was, it was a pipe dream. It, wasn't, it was, wasn't a reality because making films is a very expensive hobby. It, it's not a career uh, unless you are in that 0.1% of ex incredibly talented, well-connected and lucky people. 
everybody else loses money. So I, 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 I experienced that. I made some short films, it cost me money, and I realized I got nowhere. I had no exposure. And I saw incredibly talented people around me suffering, struggling. So I thought, okay, that's not gonna work. So I made a list of all the things that like, I love to do or could possibly do and a list of all the things that could make me some money. And teaching, coaching, you know, mentoring kind of fit in both columns. And that's the reason we started up Granton Communications because that's something that I loved doing when I was um, at work. I loved teaching. I loved mentoring. Something I loved doing with my kids. And I find that a very fulfilling way of spending my time. And fortunately, as we said earlier, there is demand for my services in Spain, or there is demand for the services of a business English teacher in Spain. And the fortunate thing for me is I can go to a company and offer my services and say, look, you know, I understand the world of business. I have managed people. So if you take me on as your business English teacher or your business communications coach, I actually understand what you're going through because I've been there and uh, there aren't that many people, there aren't that many English teachers in Spain that say that they, they were once an executive director at Goldman Sachs. Um, so that put me in a very strong position to stand out and build a brand and uh, build my business. And so that's where we are right now, sort of seven years on. And it's been a very long journey with ups and downs um, and difficult moments, but we feel we're in a very good place at the moment. Obviously, we keep talking about you teaching people, but when and where did you learn Spanish? Well, I've been learning Spanish for 20 years, and I probably will continue learning Spanish for 20 years. I had a, a brief four-week intensive class before I started business school at ESA Business School, and then forgot everything about that. And I went back to the UK, and, and, and we, we lived there for 10 years. Um, and so since I've come back here, this, 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 I've fallen into the trap that everybody wants to speak to me in English. Um, my, my, my clients and, and my friends and my family. Um, so I have to really push myself to continue to improve my English. Um, and therefore I have, I have my own coach and uh, we do classes once a week. I'm also on an online platform. It's called Busu. It's really good. And um, so I'm, I'm pushing myself and, and actually as a matter of fact that that puts me in a sympathetic position with my clients because I understand the pain they're going through because I'm at that point where I'm somewhere between B2 plus and C1. I haven't actually reached the advanced level that I need to get to and so I understand what my clients are going through. Uh, I believe Spanish is one of the languages uh, native speakers speak the fastest and I sometimes find myself trying to speak at that speed, at the speed that I actually speak in Spanish. And it turns out that I feel that English just simply just doesn't allow it to happen. It doesn't allow me to speak at that speed. And, and I have to consciously slow down. How did you cope with Spanish speakers at the beginning? And what would you recommend people like me? Okay, so Spanish is spoken much more quickly than English. And, and the reason it's spoken much more quickly than English is because there are so many more syllables to say the same thing. Um, and it's a little bit overwhelming for non-Spanish natives learning Spanish the first time. So for example, I'm chatting in English with my wife in the kitchen and she'll suddenly turn to one of our young kids and she'll say, 
and, and I'm like, what did you just say? It's like a machine gun. And actually, if you break it down, what she's saying is, cuidado que te vas a caer to our, to our children. And it just comes out super fast. And it needs to, because there are so many more syllables per idea in Spanish than there are in English. And I was, I was practicing my Spanish the other day uh, on my online platform, and there was this sentence, which was, a mis hijos les encantan los dibujos animados. Okay? That is a 16-syllable sentence in Spanish. It translates to, my kids love cartoons. That is a five-syllable sentence in English. Okay? So, so the, the, the Spaniard has to say, say it really, really fast. A mis hijos les encantan los dibujos animados. Right? Whereas the American or the Brit can just go, my kids love cartoons. And both of them have communicated the same idea in the same time. So, so okay, so what's the uh, conclusion here, right? So the conclusion for, for Spanish, but also Italian and, and, and Greek, and there's other, other languages in French that are spoken more quickly than, than English, is you can really slow down when you're speaking in, in English. And it might sound unnatural to you, but we speak more slowly because English is a more dense language. Don't try to speak too quickly. Um, because if you speak too quick, quickly in English, you just get tripped up. You can't transmit so many con concepts. Your, your brain isn't fast enough for it. And so the message to Spanish people is slow down when, when you're speaking um, English. And the message to English people is speed up when you're speaking Spanish. You know, go for it. Because the thing is, if you don't speak quickly and you don't get your point across, you're going to be interrupted. Right? This is very much a Spanish cultural thing. It's like you, need, you have a small window of opportunity with your Spanish friends to make your point before somebody's going to interrupt you. So you've got to get your point across really quickly. So it, it is important to, to, to speak quickly and confidently particularly when you're amongst Spanish people. So th these are interesting linguistic and cultural differences that you have to adapt to. Another factor that um, makes people afraid of speaking in English is the fear of being ridiculed. It's something that always calls my attention, especially in Spain. When, when a public figure, a minister or whoever in general, is heard speaking in English, there's a whole bunch of people just laughing at it, be it on Twitter, comedians making jokes about it, and we've seen it with various, you know, Spanish presidents, the late Santander chairman Emilio Botín, a famous video, football managers Juan de Ramos, Unai Emery, they've all been in, in, in the UK working. And of course, the famous speech by former major of Madrid, Ana Botella, which you also talk about in your LinkedIn feed. I'm sure there's an element in the Spanish culture about not taking itself too seriously or something like that. I don't know. I'm not sure what it is. But why do you think there's always this element of laughter when someone doesn't speak English perfectly, in Spain at least? Yeah, that's, a, that's quite a deep cultural question. I think Spanish people love to laugh. You sit in a restaurant anywhere in, in Madrid and it's just laughter all around you, you know, and loud laughter. And people making fun of each other in a really kind of nice way. You know, when, when I go to Santa, my wife's family is originally from Santonia, which is a small fishing village in the north of Spain. We spend a lot of time with her childhood friends and they're always laughing at each other. 
they're always telling stories about embarrassing things that have happened to each other and it's absolutely wonderful so there is this sense that people love to laugh and they love to laugh at each other there's also this sense of i think suspicion of leaders suspicion of your political leaders suspicion of your of your business leaders as well and so when you when you hear your business leaders or your political leaders kind of like not quite getting the words right then it's a great opportunity to laugh at them so i think it's that a combination of those two things that spanish people love to laugh and they also have a healthy suspicion of people in positions of leadership i think those two things um have uh, have led to uh, what you've just described because i've always noticed that you know italian french german speakers are comfortable with their accent and sometimes it feels like they're even proud of it like as in i'm not i'm, I'm a non-native english speaker and that's it that's how what it is and that's how it's going to come out uh, and there's always even an element of having a certain twang being sexy and and we've seen this in films and i'm sure many spanish people feel this and, and think the same thing but it feels like spanish people themselves tend to be more aware of their accent but not precisely in a proud way Yeah, that's true and and that's the work that we do. We keep saying, look, there's a big difference between accent and mispronunciation. Accent is cool. Your Spanish accent is cool. We like it. It's as long as we can understand it, we love your Spanish accent. So so you know, be proud of it. And and the fact is, a Spanish accent or a French accent or a German accent in international business is just as just as relevant as an english accent or a, a mancunian accent or a liverpudlian accent right they they're, they're all the same we all have accents right and that's what we have to remind people is that actually it's part of who you are it's part of your history it's part of your personality you should celebrate your accent don't be don't be shy but by the same token don't mispronounce a word because if you mispronounce a word then people might misunderstand you um And I think this this lack of confidence uh with uh your English accent or Spanish person's English accent has deeper roots in uh in the lack of maybe self-confidence that Spanish people have in their country. You know, there's this there's this sense of I'll give you I'll tell you a little anecdote. So I was coaching the senior uh senior executive at uh, an American company and a, a Spanish woman and I was helping her with her review and uh, I was reading through her review and it was very boring it, and it didn't really showcase what she'd done and I said Maria this this you've done so much more than this right you're so much better than what you've written down here in your own personal review your self review your self assessment and she said to me oh but I I, I don't want to be a cantamanianas right and and a cantamanianas is what what would be the the uh, translation of that term uh that's a, that's a good question actually um that would be just bragging without the need of it or something okay like so like showing off and bragging yeah. and being over the top so yeah. so there's this sense i think in the spanish psyche that they you don't want to show off you don't want to stand out you don't want to you know push yourself and and she was working in an american company and i was saying to her look if you want to promote yourself if you want to um you know have a successful career here in an american company you have to promote yourself more aggressively and you have to 
be proud of what you've done and you have to um, demonstrate that and you have to write about it in your self-assessment form. So, so there's a lot of things going on here. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot of sort of historical, cultural issues that lead to the conclusion that you're, you're talking about. Um, and maybe you're a better person, you're in a better position to tell me the answer to that question than I am to tell you. Um, there's a theory that when someone speaks in a different language, the brain sort of rewires completely. So do you think that that can affect the way we communicate and effectively the way we communicate what, what we want to say in comparison to our mother tongue? Yeah, you, yeah. I, I'm not a neuroscientist, so I'm, I'm, and I'm not particularly familiar with that theory. Um, but what I will say is that I change my behavior when I speak Spanish. Uh, it's not a exactly. neurological thing, right? It's not, I don't think my brain is being rewired, but I become a different person when I'm speaking in Spanish because uh, it's necessary in order to communicate more effectively with Spaniards. Sam Gratton, uh, thank you very much for being here today. Thanks so much and uh, hasta luego. Que vaya muy bien. Yeah, uh, muchísimas gracias, Daniel. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much for, uh, uh, for taking the time to speak to me. I appreciate it. And I hope that our paths cross again soon. Thank you.